Imagine a meal where Tennessee fans and Bama fans both ate together and loved one another. And picture it if we threw Florida in there as well. What a wild world we'd live in. And picture it if we came to that meal and we saw these fans and we didn't rub in their noses how last night went or we didn't remind them of other times in the past. No, instead we simply cared unconditionally for who they were. Imagine that. When you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper that you eat. For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. See, this problem they were having was as they came to this meal, they treated it just like every other meal. When you showed up and you were hungry, you ate. And if by eating there was nothing left for those who had less later, well, then that was their problem. They should have showed up early. The same is true whenever we have donuts here at the church. If you show up early, you get some. If not, sorry. Hi, this is Chris from The Point, a church where you can come as you are and you can text in your questions. You may not be sure what you believe about God, Jesus, faith, or the Bible, and that's okay, because faith is not about having it all figured out, and God is not waiting for you to put your life together before He'll connect with you. If you'd like to find out more about The Point, you can visit our website at thepointknox.com or connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter at The Point Knox. Don't hesitate to contact us or join us in person every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. We pray this message has an impact in your life or at least makes it easy for you to connect with God where you are. Good morning. Over the last several weeks, we have been talking about one ancient practice of the church that has helped us do the very things Jesus did and in turn become a little more like him. And this practice is one that I hold really near and dear, the practice of eating and drinking. You see, Jesus came eating and drinking with sinners and religious people alike. He came eating and drinking with those who knew where they were going and those who were lost and confused. And as he came eating and drinking, the whole world got turned upside down. For you and me, as we practice this habit of eating and drinking, not just for our physical nourishment, but as an opportunity to meet with and connect with and love others. As we practice this habit together, we will begin to see God move in really good and wonderful ways. We began as we talked about eating and drinking, talking about this idea of radically ordinary hospitality. You see, you and I as Christians don't have to do hardly anything to show the world how much Jesus loves. The single best thing you and I can do to show the world how much Jesus loves is find somebody you don't usually get along with and invite them over for dinner and just eat with them. If they're willing to join you, there's a really good chance you will have opportunity for conversation that maybe can strengthen your relationship or heal past wounds or help you begin to see something about that person you've never seen before. The very simple practice of eating and drinking does not require us to host and to entertain and to be fancy and to have everything put together. In fact, it's the opposite. Most of the time, the best meals are with people who didn't have the time to make their house look perfect. 
and who didn't have the time to make the gourmet meal that's fancy, but they took the time anyway to simply be with you. Most of the time when we invite people into our lives and into our world and just eat slowly, preferably around a table with the TV off, we will find community. Today, as we continue in this series, we're shifting our focus a little bit from eating and drinking with others into eating and drinking with the church like we have been the last couple of weeks, and now we're shifting to something slightly different, a meal that was given to you and I that is unlike any other. You guys may see it here before us or may know of it, a meal often called communion or the Lord's Supper. We're going to talk over this week and next a little bit about why there's different names for this meal. But first, I just want to talk about this meal. See, there was a time in my life where I didn't think much about this meal. Maybe you grew up in a tradition where you almost never took communion. Or if you did take communion, it was just like, oh yeah, we're doing this thing again and the wafer's going to stick to the top of my mouth and the wine's going to be pretty gross and here we go again. I grew up in a tradition where once, maybe every other year, communion was set on a table off to the side and was just like, oh yeah, if you want that, have it, but don't really worry about it. And I never paid any attention to what this meal was, even though Jesus and his disciples and the church in the early days spent a lot of time focusing on this meal. And there was a season in my life where in an effort to grow closer to God, I decided to take a vow, a vow that is found in the Old Testament for those who are not Levites. If you know the Old Testament, God set aside one tribe of the people of Israel, Levites, and said, you shall be my priests, which meant these Levites were the ones who could draw near to God every day on behalf of the people. They were the ones who could come before him with a sacrifice and with prayer and offerings, and they could experience God's goodness and then go and share it with everybody else. But for everybody who wasn't a Levite, who wasn't welcomed into that special place in the tabernacle and later the temple, for everybody else, if you wanted to be in a special place close with God, there was a series of things you could do, mostly involving giving something up. And one of those was a vow called the Nazarite vow. Specifically, people would choose to abstain from any sort of fruit of the vine, or other words, things made with grapes. And I don't know if you know this or not, but when you don't have a lot of clean water available to you, wine is actually really healthy in small quantities. Even if you do have clean water, they say that maybe a glass a day is not so bad for your heart. And so to abstain from anything made from the fruit of the vine would mean no wine, which would mean taking the risk that the water you drank might not be very sanitary, and that was a sacrifice. Not only would you abstain from the wine, which last week we discussed was a measure of God's goodness and his overflowing joy, you would abstain from that and a few other things, including cutting the hair on your head, which is a very strange thing to abstain from. But in my youthful days, I decided the best thing I could do to draw closer to God was to take this Old Testament vow and try to practice it myself. And so I committed as a single man to shaving the hair on my head and my, the hair on my face and to not letting a razor touch my head again until I was married. As you can imagine, 
It did not take long before I looked really, really shaggy. Not only did I look really, really shaggy, uh, after about 11 months of not shaving, where I had a pretty gnarly beard and some pretty crazy hair, I was grilling some food and accidentally caught my beard on fire. But I was committed, and so I left the half-burnt beard for several months until eventually it grew out enough to almost be able to be hidden. It was worse than a comb over, I promise. I don't know how I ever thought I'd find a wife in that state. Thankfully, I ended that vow before I found a wife, and that's why I think Laura said yes. But as part of this vow, early on, in the first week or two, I came to communion, and I found myself stuck. See, communion was just kind of a thing I always did, but I never really paid much attention to it. But now as I came to communion, I took the wafer, and then I realized I have two choices, wine or grape juice. And I can't abstain from things made from grape if I take either of them, so I just took the bread, and then I kept on going. And afterwards, my pastor said to me, why'd you do that? And I explained it to him, and he said, well, I think if you're not going to take the wine or the grape juice, you should abstain from communion altogether until you're done with this vow. I was like, well, that seems really weird and harsh, but okay. And so I did. I went 21 months without shaving the hair on my head. You can imagine how shaggy and uneven and kind of gross I looked. And 21 months without taking communion. And at the conclusion of the vow, God had done a lot to work in my heart and to transform a lot of the things that I was holding on to that were unhealthy. And I had decided I had peace. It was a good time to end that vow. And so I shaved my beard and I trimmed my hair and I was ready to come and receive communion. I came with the same attitude I'd always had about communion. This is just something we do. And as I came and I took communion that day, something felt different. I, I don't really know what or how, but as I ate and I drank, it felt like for the first time ever, this wasn't just a piece of bread or a wafer and some wine. But in that meal, I was being joined with something bigger than myself, with someone better than myself. And I felt in that very seemingly ordinary moment a sense of peace I'd never felt prior. And I realized then, this meal is not ordinary. But I wasn't quite sure why. Now, I was working at a church at the time, teaching youth, and so I knew some of the theology people said, but none of that ever really made sense to me. But after that moment, I realized I need to dive more into why is this meal special? So that's what we're going to do today. Will you open up with me in your Bibles, 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Now, I forgot to ask Aaron to grab the page number, but it looks like he's on top of it. Page 1,196, if you're using the blue Bibles in the pews or along the walls upstairs. If you have your own Bible or if you have your phone, I don't know what page number it's on, but you can find it. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Now, Paul is writing to the church in this letter almost like a father. He helped plant the church. 
He helped establish them, and now he's discovering things they're doing and believing that aren't very good. And he's trying to help gently correct them and point them back to something better. And so in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, beginning in verse 17, but in the following instructions I do not commend you, because you, when you come together, it is not for the better, but for the worse. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you, and I believe it in part. For there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. When you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper that you eat. For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. You see, the context here is the meal that we know as communion looks very little like what the meal they would experience looked like. One of the names for the meal they would eat was called the agape feast. And if you recall, agape is the Greek word for like the most unconditional and perfect and never-ending love. And so this meal they would celebrate was supposed to be a reflection of this incredible love. And so those who were wealthy would bring forward to the meal whatever they had to offer. And those who were poor would bring whatever they had to offer. And it didn't matter how much you brought or how little you had. It didn't matter your social status, if you were an elite or if you were the lowest of lows. In that meal, which would often take several hours, you were equal. Slaves and masters alike. Everybody equal. And in that meal, those who were poor and didn't have much to eat would receive a full feast to know that they would be satisfied. And they would come together on a regular basis. And Paul, he writes here that when they're coming together, they're doing it wrong. This meal that's supposed to reflect the very love of God is actually creating more divisions and problems. I hear that there are divisions among you. I believe it in part. For there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. Now, oftentimes, I think we can hear this, and maybe we think to ourselves, there must be divisions so that those who are holier can stand out. But I would advocate that the only reason divisions exist is because those who are sinful are here. So if you are here or in any church and the church is not united, maybe the place to start is with your own sin. In what ways do I have something against my brother? In what ways am I not putting myself forward to be one body? And it's only as we humble ourselves and become servants of all that we can begin to see each other in the light that God sees us. And from there, be united in all things. Imagine a meal where Tennessee fans and Bama fans both ate together and loved one another. And picture it if we threw Florida in there as well. What a wild world we'd live in. 
And picture it, if we came to that meal and we saw these fans and we didn't rub in their noses how last night went or we didn't remind them of other times in the past. No, instead we simply cared unconditionally for who they were. Imagine that. When you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper that you eat. For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. See, this problem they were having was as they came to this meal, they treated it just like every other meal. When you showed up and you were hungry, you ate. And if by eating there was nothing left for those who had less later, well, then that was their problem. They should have showed up early. The same is true whenever we have donuts here at the church. If you show up early, you get some. If not, sorry. (laughs) He continues, and he describes why this meal needs to be different. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever, therefore, eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. This is why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. So then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. If anyone is hungry, let him eat at home, so that when you come together, it will not be for judgment. About the other things, I will give directions when I come. Paul, he writes and he says, what God has given to me is these very words and this very promise. This is my body and this is my blood. He says, I've freely given you this. And then he says this, for as often as you eat the bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. He says, every time we participate in this meal, it's different than we just eat a regular meal. It's different because every time we participate in this meal, we are declaring that God himself has died for you and for me and for one another. Every time we eat this meal, we are declaring that this world is not yet as it should be. Because Jesus didn't stay dead, he rose again and then he ascended into heaven and he promised he's coming back. And so we eat and we drink this meal and we declare he has died, which gives us an opportunity to pause and look within and say, why? What in me needs to die? What in me did he die to redeem and to make new? How do I live in that newness? Every time we eat and we drink of this meal, we declare that things are not yet the way they should be. 
People are hungry and neglected and lonely and hurting. But we together get to be the body. We get to be different. So Paul, he then continues, he says, whoever, whoever eats or drinks in an unworthy manner may be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then. So eat the bread and drink the cup. And anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. Paul is writing, he says, if we come to this meal and we do so just as an individual, I'm coming for my sake and myself. I'm coming because I always have and it's what I'm supposed to do. If we eat and drink this without discerning the body of Christ, we do it to our judgment. It's actually detrimental. He goes so far as saying the reason some of you are sick and have died is because you're coming together just for another meal and not for what's truly here. Over the course of this chapter, there's, there's four different things we see that happens in this meal. I'm going to focus on two of them today and two of them next week because I want to dive deeper into all of them. Four things that happen when we come to communion. First, we are partnered or unified with each other and with God. In this meal, we are drawn near one another. I don't know if you know this, but we have a problem in this country of rampant loneliness. We can look all around us and feel like we're alone in a crowd and say, where are you, God? He invites us in this meal to see that we are not alone. For every time we eat and we drink this meal, we are reminded that we are joined together with the body of believers, with every Christian in this room and all across the city and this state and this nation and this world. Every Christian today and tomorrow and yesterday, those who have died who never spoke English and those who have not yet been born in this meal, we are joined together as one. A picture of what that can do for us in our loneliness. When every time we come to eat and drink, we come and we confess, God, I feel lonely. But you have made me whole. You've invited me in and included me with your children by grace alone. Every time we eat and drink, this can be a special reminder that whatever you're facing, you're not the only person who's gone through hardships. And there are people who've already gone through it who can speak to you today, encouragement to say, hang in there. You're not alone. Who can sit with you in your sorrow and grieve with you as you mourn and can say, I love you. I don't always have answers. Every time we eat and we drink this meal, we are unified as one body, which also should give us pause. See, it's easy to come and eat and drink for myself and forget the unkind words I spoke to my son just yesterday or the harsh treatment of my wife or of a friend or someone else. When we come and we eat and we drink of this meal, we need to be reminded that it's not about me. In fact, Jesus goes so far as to say in Matthew, if, 
If you're going to bring your gift to the altar and there you remember your brother has something against you, go first and be reconciled and then come. And this meal, by proclaiming and discerning his body, we are saying, if there's anybody I have wronged, God, would you make it right? And likewise, if there's anybody who's wronged me, God, would you make it right? Would we be unified together in perfect unity? That's a beautiful thing. Another thing that happens here in this meal is we share in fellowship. Fellowship is a group of people with a common interest or purpose or cause. One of the things I love about communion is communion is for those who are black and white and anybody else. Communion is for those who are wealthy and poor. Communion is for those who look like me and sound like me and those who are nothing like me at all. We all share in a fellowship, a common bond of of shared interest and purpose. And our interest in this meal is the God who's come to be with us, to forgive us and reconcile us and make us new. We share in a fellowship in this meal that we have a common purpose. Anytime we eat or we drink, we remember that we are proclaiming his death until he comes. What does that mean with our fellowship? Our purpose today is to love those who don't know they're loved, to serve those who think they're not worthy of love. Our purpose today as we get out of bed is, is to seek the Lord who's promised he's coming back. Say, God, things are not yet the way they should be. Give me strength for each moment and peace that surpasses understanding. Help me to walk with you now and tomorrow and each day. In fact, our very name for this meal, the name communion, quite literally means fellowship, community, and participation. When we eat and when we drink, we participate with God in the very work that he's doing in us and through us and in his people. We participate with him for the sake of our neighbor who doesn't yet know his love. And then we're strengthened to go out and to live a new life, not as people who are perfect, but people who are made perfect. Not as people who never sin again, but as people who have a source of life for forgiveness and strength each time we do, that we can gather and we can eat and we can drink and we can be reminded that Christ has died for us. So whatever tomorrow holds, we can know that he'll be there too. We're not alone, we have each other. In future weeks, we'll talk about these last two of remembrance and thanksgiving in significantly more detail, but I just wanna close with this. Here in a moment, we will receive this meal. Who do you need to be unified with? Is there anybody you need to make peace with? To eat and drink in a worthy manner is to come discerning that this is not just a wafer or bread, wine or grape juice. This is an invitation from God to be made whole. Where do you need that in your life today? This is an invitation from God to find strength when tomorrow is difficult.
an invitation to no longer be alone in this wild and crazy world, but to be united with people who love you and care about you and will walk with you through whatever may come. This is our hope and our promise and why we eat and drink. Will you pray with me? God, we thank you that you sent your son, that he gave us this meal. God, we thank you that this very meal he gave us on the night he was betrayed, that we might have life in him. Help us today to examine ourselves. Is there any division among us? God, may we lay it before you. Is there any loneliness? God, may we find your community, your communion that we are together one. God, for those whom we have wronged, may they forgive us. For those who have wronged us, may we forgive them. And may this meal be a picture of the love that you have for us, that nothing can separate us from your goodness and your grace and your forgiveness that we together are one in Christ. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. As we continue our worship, we're going to continue by collecting an offering. If you came prepared to, uh, today to give a gift and you would like to give in using paper or cash or check or coin, uh, if you filled out one of those physical connect cards and would like for us to be praying with you or praying for someone with you, uh, you can place either that offering or that uh, connect card in the popcorn buckets that are in the back as you exit. Uh, if you're somebody who prefers to give electronically, you can do so online at thepointknox.com by clicking the little teal button in the bottom corner. However you give and whatever you give, know this. We don't give to get God's love, but because we already have it. Thank you. Well, every week we invite your questions and I do my best to respond. So Emily, what kind of questions came in today? Not even one solitary question. Wow. So good job explaining that. Or they were all asleep, one of the two. Well, no, we got a lot of freaking comments. Okay, all right. <laughs> I said freaking. I need to be very clear about that. Okay. <laughs> um, okay, first of all, um, can we say hi to Quinn's family back in Michigan? We love you and thank you for your prayers for this little girly. Yeah. That was, she was so cute and happy. I think that you guys were praying. For those of you who don't know, Keith and Chelsea just moved here from Michigan this summer and are actively trying to get all of Michigan to move down here as well. So. <laughs> um, a couple, a couple uh, things about the band. Someone said the band missed a great opportunity to open with Rocky Top. Great point. <laughs> and then we would have all needed to pray for forgiveness. <laughs> Um, and someone else said, I felt God's presence during worship this morning and hearing the blessing gave me goosebumps. So thank you. I really needed that. That's awesome. We pray over that every Sunday that God moves in ways we could never. Um, speaking of forgiveness and Rocky Top, um, someone else said, forgive me, Father. I kind of really enjoyed seeing Nick Saban. Saban? Saban. Big, big football fan right yeah. here. Okay. Uh, I thought that that was UT's coach yesterday. I made a comment. No, it was incorrect. Um, anyway, they enjoyed seeing Nick S. get very upset over a muffed punt. It's great to be a Tennessee ball. Now, for those of you who don't know, 
all of this is a foreign language to Emily, so well done, speaking a language you don't Foot, know. Football? Yeah. Yeah, okay. Um, and now a couple, now we're, whew, a couple uh, prayer requests. So one for Colleen, it's her birthday today. She's been a, attending the point since April. God bless her. Happy birthday. Happy birthday. Yeah. And then <laughs> second, um, prayer request for Tammy's father who was admitted to the hospital last night. So yes. keep him in your prayers. We will. Uh, they don't quite know what's going on with him. Uh, when I spoke with her this morning, um, they spent the entirety of yesterday in the ER, all night long in the ER, because there also wasn't a bed available. And so only this morning, maybe they were admitted. So we'll keep Tammy in your prayers as well, as it's been a long 24 hours for her trying to care for her dad. I know several of you are in that place right now where you have elderly parents who need a lot of care, and that can be really exhausting. So if that's you, please know that we will gladly come and sit with you at the hospital anytime, pray with you there, visit anytime. And if you would like some meals to take that off your plate and just somebody to help care for you as you care for them, we would love to do that as well, all right? Just let us know, and that would be our honor to be with you in this difficult time. So, is that it? That was it. Awesome. So every week I end with this blessing, the same blessing we sang earlier. And I end with this every week because I want you in good times and in bad times to remember these words and this promise for you. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May he look upon you with favor and give you his peace. Amen. Have a good week. Thank you for listening to one of our Sunday morning messages. If this message has made an impact in your life, please let us know. Simply fill out the Contact Us page on thepointknox.com. And if you'd like to be a part of supporting The Point Ministry, simply go to thepointknox.com forward slash support. Don't hesitate to contact us or join us in person every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. We pray this message has an impact in your life or at least makes it easy for you to connect with God where you are.